You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. This is Series 7, where I am talking with Team Canada athletes that have gone to the Paralympics. They have amazing stories to share, and I can't wait to share them with you. This is Episode 65. Now let me introduce the guests that we will be dropping in with today. This guest started skiing at the age of 4. At the age of 10, he was declared legally blind due to Stargata disease, a rare genetic eye disease that happens when fatty material builds up on the macula. At 13 years old, he entered his first para-alpine race and is now one of Canada's most decorated para-athletes, as well as the world's first blind free skier. Honestly, he's going down things on Whistler Blackcomb that might frighten you. He is a three-time Paralympian, and I want to showcase his achievements. A world champion, uh, a world alpine skiing para-champion in not only downhill, but super G slalom and giant slalom. He's gone to three Paralympics, as I said, in 2014 at the Sochi Games. He came home with bronze in downhill and super G and gold in giant slalom with guide Robin Femi. In 2018 at Pyeongchang, he was fourth in slalom, bronze in giant slalom, gold in the downhill with ski guide Jack Leach. Leach. In 2022 at the Beijing Games, he took silver in the downhill hill. This son, brother, world champion, Paralympic champion, blind free skier, doesn't seem to be scared of going fast. Let me introduce Mac Marcoux. Mac, how are you today? I'm good, Mercedes. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Is it weird to hear all those things that you've achieved? <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit weird. Hearing it out loud is uh, something when you don't really reflect on very often. So right. cool to hear that. <laughs> You've done a lot. You've done a lot. It's amazing. Are you ready to drop in? I'm ready. I feel like you're always ready to drop in. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we start with our rapid fire questions that are never rapid, but the guests get to know you. Uh, the listeners and the viewers get to know you a little bit more. Number right. one, do you have a lucky charm? I don't have a lucky charm, actually. Uh, every now and then I keep like uh my grandfather used to give me like a lucky penny before I used to before I used to leave for World Cups and that was about as close to a lucky charm as I'd get. That's a pretty good one. Are you superstitious at all? This is just <laughs> No, not really. I uh I th I think we've all gone through like little cycles of superstition. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. You like find yourself like coming out of a slump training or whatever and you're trying to like totally mimic the exact same day over and over again but okay uh, i'm so glad i'm not alone in that i'm like oh i wear these socks something something worked that time <laughs> yeah something worked exactly so you try to do the same thing over and over and realize at some point i'm like ah, i think it's just the way it goes <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally um number two what is the favorite place that you've traveled to for skiing and then also for pleasure 
Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I think like overall, my favorite place is still BC. Um, yeah. Yeah, I spent a ton of time out here, and you know, now I've moved out here, so it's uh, yeah, it holds a pretty special place in my heart, especially around here, the Sea to Sky. Um, now it's it's June nineteenth, twenty twenty two. Where in the world are you right now? I am in Whistler. Oh, me too. I love that we're doing this, but we're apart. <laughs> no, it's um, is there any like crazy place that you've been skiing that you're like, nah, nothing, nothing really adds up to Whistler, or Blackcomb, or BC? There's, yeah, there's definitely. I think everywhere has like, you know, can be the most amazing place ever if the snow is right and you wake up and like. I'm a big sucker for sunrises. We're always on the snow really early, so yeah. Um, I think like Pano has a pretty incredible sunrise. Um, yeah. You guys than, train out there a lot, don't you? We do. Yeah. We spend a, a ton of time in the preseason out there. It's kind of our, the first place we can get training in Canada. So we, uh, we kind of pack up and head there for November after, uh, after we come back from South America. Wicked. And then if you're just like cruising, want to go on a vacay, is there anywhere you would go? Yeah, usually vacays involve uh, free skiing and snowmobiling, so that can be <laughs> so BC is your spot. That's it. I spent a ton of time in Revy uh, for Wicked. more inside, but uh, awesome. but yeah, no, I I went on my first warm vacation this this like literally just after the games. I went down to Florida for a couple weeks, and okay. it was pretty cool. But I don't know. I don't know if it's for me. <laughs> Fair. You're a winter guy through and through. It seems. That's it. Nice. Okay. Um, number three, are you big city or small town kind of guy? Very much small town. Um, the farther, farther out in, the, out in the boonies I can get, the better. Awesome. Okay. Number four, if you are in the gym having a session, working really hard, lifting heavy weights or something like that, um, are you more of a, I want to listen to my breath and my grunts or do you want to have headphones in? I never wear headphones just because it, I don't know why my ears get sweaty and it feels weird, but <laughs> I, uh, no, I like, I like music. I prefer, prefer to have some music playing. It gets quiet. It's not a, I get alone with my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, number five, do you have a favorite race that you've been in? Yeah, I do. I think, um, I always kind of go back to the downhill in Sochi was, I think like, my first real, real introduction in, into, into speed. And, you know, I was a young kid. It was a, it was a heck of a lot of fun. And I think it kind of set the tone for, uh, for where I wanted to kind of focus my energy and time on for, you know, the last now, what is it? 10 years. or 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> It takes a lot of life when you go to so many Paralympics and Olympics. <laughs> Yeah, very much so. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, downhill in Sochi, rad. Um, number six, what puts a bigger smile on your face, skiing or snowmobiling? You said you did snowmobiling, right? Yeah, snowmobiling, I'd say. I'd say uh, it's the one thing I do that kind of gets away all the pressure. I think anytime I'm in the backcountry, for the most part, I'm, I'm beyond stoked. Um, okay, when you're when you're snowmobiling, are you following someone? No. Um, <laughs> okay, how do, picking, you, how do you go about picking that? Picking good days with good light. Um, okay. and just being smart with train, and then uh, 
I prefer like if it's sunny out, I can see a little bit better in the alpine. I guess like everyone can, but okay. having some sort of definition is really nice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We go out and build jumps and hang out. And then if it's kind of crappy out, we'll just go find little stuff to jump off in the trees. Of course you would. Oh my gosh. I respect you so much. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, number seven, you talked about panorama, but what in Canada, where would be the best place to train for you? Yeah, I'd say Panorama. I've like yeah. had really good days here. Um, in Whistler. Like, yeah, most recently, actually, just before the games, we had a really great prep camp. But um, I know I saw you right before the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was true. so rad bumping into you. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that you're training here. That's so cool. Yeah, it was sick. But like we, we tend to, yeah, I think for the most part, training kind of Panorama, Kimberly every now and then. Um, it's pretty hard to get a full length uh, speed tracking in canada yeah. not close down the whole mountain so it's uh i know yeah, we don't we don't always love you guys when you're training because some of the runs that you go on we're like man i wish they were open <laughs> oh i get it i do the same thing <laughs> <laughs> it's all good <laughs> too funny okay number eight if you're not training where can we find you and what the heck would you be doing oh if i'm not training then yeah probably in the wintertime riding my sled and in the summertime i'm if I'm in BC, I'm on my bike and or or rehabbing. <laughs> and uh, oh, if I'm uh, if I'm at home, I'm usually somewhere on a four wheeler dirt bike, side by side boat, somewhere in the bush. Okay, cool. Um, number nine. How and if this happened, did the pandemic change your training? The pandemic definitely had a pretty big impact, I think, on on everybody. But it was. Uh, it was very convenient timing right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I had uh, I had some injury stuff I needed to work on anyway, okay. so I was uh, I was pretty much on the rehab grind throughout the whole pandemic. But it and was, were you allowed in the gym? Yeah, we were allowed yeah. in the gym. At first off, the gym was closed for a couple months, um, yeah. so I trained back home until until things open up and restrictions kind of eased off a little bit in BC before before Ontario so I came back out here and uh wicked yeah basically spent <laughs> spent that whole two year <laughs> cycle in the in the gym trying to trying to figure out how to how to get healthy I mean it worked I would say sure, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was short short lived I'm back I blew my knee in, in China on the second day so we're, uh, right. we're back on the rehab brand but it's uh it's all part of the fun uh, injuries. We just keep coming <laughs> back for more though, don't we? Every time. Number 10, you have a documentary out there called Blind Faith. I just want to touch on how was filming that? Filming that was a blast, you know, it was yeah. definitely a little bit out of our element. Um, as ski racers, especially on the parasite, we don't do much of anything. So like even just seeing the, the film side of things and actually what goes into, um, making and producing a project like that was pretty cool and um, yes it was yeah it was pretty pretty sick to see kind of like all of the uh little movie moments that, that happened that uh when we're shooting stuff and doing a lot of one turn shots and stuff like that it, you don't right? uh, realize how much goes into like making one shot come together I'm glad you got to experience it because a lot of the listeners and viewers will have no idea how much goes into like one photo. And then if you're doing film, you're just like, yeah, that one shot took pretty much half a day, if not more. And you're just, people are like, what? No, that just happens. So you, you've experienced that now. 
yeah it's it's insane you know standing on top of something for 45 minutes an hour waiting for light and then light doesn't come we go away for a bit and come back wait for light um, but it's definitely it was cool it opened up my my mind to a lot of a lot of cool opportunities hopefully coming in the future i think we have some more film projects coming down the pipe so more free skiing for you down the line that's it so wild. I mean, I don't even think I've gone down the coffin. Like maybe I did when I was like a tiny human, but I watched your video and I was like, I don't, I don't think I've done that in like forever if I've ever done it. So like you're doing lines that most people would never do, which is like so <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you haven't seen Blind Faith, you can find that on YouTube, which I highly recommend watching. It's super cool. Um, let's, that was the rapid fire. Not, not too difficult, was it? No, not bad at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I want to talk about your Paralympics. You are a three-time Paralympian starting off in, uh, Sochi 2014. What was going on before, um, Sochi? Like, had you dreamed of going to the Paralympics since you lost your sight? Yeah, sort of. Like I, I, my business started to deteriorate and I grew up in a pretty motorsport oriented family. So we were like racing go-karts and snowmobiles and yeah. playing a lot outside. And uh, when my vision started kind of taking a turn, my family looked into sports that were available for visually impaired athletes just to like kind of get us involved with something and, and at least see if it was, you know, sport was something I wanted to pursue. We had a lot of um, really good feedback from, from other athletes that, that yeah. we'd reached out to and they all said to get involved with sports. So we started skiing. I started ski racing, um, basically right away this would be back in 05 uh -huh. uh, and yeah within uh, within a couple of weeks we fell in love with the sport you know like as little kids burning around it's a blast uh, and make a ton of friends and um yeah pretty shortly after that we kind of set our sights on a pretty ambitious goal to try and make it to uh make it to sochi i think it was uh and that's you and your brother because you're you were following your brother right yeah exactly so it's my brother my brother stepped in as my guide in 2011. So I raced able-bodied for, well, I guess, five years um, yeah. around Northern Ontario, just kind of learning and developing skills in ski racing and figuring out how to turn right and left and go fast. And um, eventually my And was you, wait, what, at that time, was your vision, did your vision just like fully go? And, and I, I know you explain it as having like your two fists in front of your eyes. Yeah, exactly. So basically it's, it's slowly, it's degenerative. So it's slowly getting worse kind of consistently. Um, yeah. so from when I was eight to, I guess, I don't even know, I would have been 13, 12 when yeah. it started to really, really pick up a little bit of steam. And it like that little bit of time is when it deteriorated enough that I started skiing with guide in 2011. Um, okay. Okay. And that was just like, Convenient timing. It was right when I was old enough to start competing um, on the like, IPC side of things. And uh, and you're just like, I'm going to follow my brother wherever he goes. Is that what yeah, that <laughs> was like a of, serious yeah. trust, man? <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot of fun. We, we uh, yeah, we we definitely had a time of traveling around together. And um, unfortunately, BJ got hurt about yeah. a week out of Sochi. Um, he had a couple uh, herniated discs in his back and he was battling with that for a long time. And, um, unfortunately things, things like go just too close to the games for him to be able to, uh, to come there as my guide. So we called in a backup guide and 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Where do you just get a backup guide? <laughs> Thanks, Robin. What's up? Like what? <laughs> it was it was pretty incredible. My um, I guess my predecessor, um, Chris Williamson, was kind of the OG blind guy for Canada. Um, okay. He he yeah he's basically wrote the book on visually impaired ski racing and okay. um, Rob was his guide at the time. Um, so Chris actually called in his backup guide that he had skied with in 2010 um, and had trained with on and off and had basically lent me Rob for, for the games because Rob and I had skied together um, a little bit before. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty cool move on his part. And um, yeah, it just kind of, it kind of worked out. We were, Sure. Yeah, we were pretty hesitant. I, you know, I wanted to try and me and BJ to want to try and ski together. Um, but like the reality is, is that it's not, not worth wrecking himself for his life for one race. So yeah. I yeah, mean, so heartbreaking we, for him for sure. But like, what a great community to be able to get Robin on your side a week before going to a Paralympic games, your first Paralympic games. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty incredible. And like, I, you know, can never say enough good things about the Canadian Paralpine team. We're a, a pretty, pretty cool ship running, running around over here. So it's a, it's pretty, it's a pretty great group of humans. And everyone. you are, I love, I love seeing you guys. Like, so I know you from being in the gym and you guys have like such a good camaraderie throughout the team. And I, and I'm not sure that everyone gets to see that when they watch the Paralympics, you know, it's such a quick jolt. So uh, I love the inside scoop here about how cool the, the community is. And that's like mind blowing that he just came in a week after and how many games would he have been at before? He wouldn't have been to games either. We was both. Of our, uh, both oh my of our gosh. <laughs> So it, uh, yeah, it was entertaining for sure. But <laughs> he was uh, he was the perfect guy to step in. You know, he was a little bit older than I was, a lot okay. more. He was he was a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a we had a, sure. a lot of fun over the years. Like, you know, outside of the training environment, and yeah, um, he was the perfect guy to step in and kind of keep your mind in the right place, especially with like all the turmoil happening just before the games. Mentally, it was a pretty big shock and. I was yeah. still super young. I was, I think I was 16. So just trying to figure out what was going on. Tiny um, human. I don't have my brother with me anymore. What now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Things pretty light. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible being able to leave there with, uh, with, you know, actually healthy, like, let alone with, uh, with a couple of A bronze in downhill and super G and then a gold in giant slalom. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. Just 16 years old. <laughs> uh, it was definitely far beyond our expectations but we were, so we were awesome so when you were um obviously those games were in russia and um i was there just a couple weeks before you but i had a, a pretty bad crash at those games right. um did you uh was the snow conditions were they good for you or was it just sugar snow for you as well it was very interesting <laughs> oh that's such a diplomatic way to say it i would say it was crap for us but i'm allowed was, to say that because i ate crap <laughs> yeah it definitely ate up a lot of people um yeah I think, like, we got there and it was actually really good for our first couple training runs um okay. and then by the time it was race day it was like oh it had to be 17 18 degrees at the start oh. and it was like first couple humans was great everyone skiing well and like not really breaking the surface yet and by the time 
it was middle of the field. The the track was getting really beat up and it was breaking uh, through to that like slush, like just yeah, bottomless slush. You might as well be at a beach. Literally, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, oh. it's uh, not not uh, ideal for trying to go fast and make turns. Um, and so, even for your guys' para, you still want those icy conditions. That's why you're going training early in the morning, um, and all of that. It's it's very similar, right? Yeah, exactly. We're chasing kind of the hardest snow we can get. Um, you know, injecting every every. <laughs> No track and it's just trying to make sure so it's hard and it's it sounds kind of backwards but it has the most grip um when your skis are are sharp and in a yeah. good spot it's uh it's also just the fastest so so rad that glaze snow <laughs> okay so moving on from sochi you competed in pyeongchang in korea and um i was talking with someone earlier and we for the olympics had this freaking arctic polar front i don't know they keep changing the name of what the weather patterns are but freaking cold it was cold <laughs> and then like a month later you guys are like oh it's like tropical here um, oh yeah how, it was, how it, was those it was the, the same weather pattern it was it was like 20 degrees and sunny oh, it was gosh. not good for, for ski racing but right? you know, the win. first couple of days it was all right even like downhill day um it was pretty great. And then by the time the games were winding down, I, I'd, I'd crashed a couple times uh, in between the, in between the gold and the bronze. And I had, uh, it was, it was just taking a downward spiral <laughs> throughout the games. The snow was getting worse and my body was getting pretty beat up. So it was, uh, it was a pretty, it was a blast still, but, um, the snow definitely did not hold up the length of the games. We were, we were starting to get pretty concerned that, we're going to get all the events off. Oh my gosh. Classic. Two yeah. hot Olympics back to back. Um, I have a question about slalom. I haven't yep. watched you do slalom before. And so for our viewers and listeners, how do, do you have a guide going down the course in front of you for slalom? Are the yeah. gates like further apart or are they the same as like no, home. they're about the same. Um, okay, so are you just getting pretty, flicked in the face? What's happening? Guides are pretty sick, slalom skiers. Um, <laughs> okay. They're, they're pretty pretty cool. Like, they have to change everything. You can't stand tall, so they end up standing pretty low and kind of ducking between the, the gates, trying not to hit them. But they do end up hitting quite a few, quite a few gates, and it's just kind of like okay. hold on and hope for the best, try and keep your teeth. Um, and you have a headset. Um with you i also want to know what you guys are saying to each other <laughs> there's a it's is pretty it is it a code is it a code that we wouldn't understand <laughs> some of it some of it is we definitely have like lots of key terms that we talk about okay. um but you don't have to spill all the beans if it's top secret no no not at all it's <laughs> uh yeah like for me i'm kind of still we can still see enough that I don't need anyone calling left and right and telling me when the turn needs to switch. It's just more so calling train changes and, and stuff like that, different combinations in the course, especially in slalom, you have a bunch of different combos that you have to worry about. Uh, yeah. So just kind of giving me the information I need, because I can't really see more than a gate or two ahead. So they're just, yeah, filling in that dark space a little bit along with everything that happens like non-verbally is almost more important being able to watch what's happening with their feet and, okay. um, and I can see kind of all the micro train and watch their boots chatter and, and I can s kind of anticipate 
as much as I can. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's always a work in progress and we're always just trying to figure out the best way to make it work. Right. I would, I would, I don't know. I was talking about standing up at the top of the half pipe and like how every time I didn't have a same repertoire and I'm like, should I have, I don't know. I don't think anyone else did. You know, it, it is a learning process for everyone every time that you go down, I think. Yeah. I think like if you do everything too much the same, you start to become predictable and, <laughs> you <don't want laughs> and that. nothing's predictable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we keep trying. We try and set like a pretty solid race day routine, and try and keep all our ducks in a row when it comes to equipment and everything like that. So that when we're kind of coming out of an inspection, we're as dialed as we can be. All we have to do is focus on visualizing, and then jump in the track and hold on and hope for the best. Um, and but, so, would you do a pre-course like review of like where all the gates are inside, slip down, and everything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll slide down, slide down ahead of time, check out where everything is take as much information as we can um slalom is not as important to it's more so just knowing where the combinations are um yeah you're just you're not going as fast um i don't ski slalom anymore i i got rid of that (laughs) disciplines anymore um it's so many you must be exhausted at the games it's ridiculous and i think now i've I've kind of earned my place in the speed track and kind of just throw in every GS every now and then for, uh, okay. for moral support, but, uh, <laughs> in speed, it's more so just paying attention to all the little things, you know, where the, where the snow can change little holes that can cause a lot of issues when you're, when you're clipping and, um, yeah, just trying to get a really good view of all the blind gates kind of ahead of time. Um, and then we just go through it over and over again until we get to kick out of the start. <laughs> nice. I had uh, Tyler Turner on, who's a, a new to the para world, and uh, and he was just saying how he doesn't do inspection because <laughs> because his stumps get really sore, and and that's like new to him. So it's that's it's interesting cool. to know what everyone does. Yeah, Ty's Ty's pretty rad. Um. <laughs> so cool! Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's just like you're amazing. Um, Pyeongchang 2018 was the last Olympics without a pandemic in the venue. Right. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be on team Canada at those games um, pre pandemic. And then during the pandemic, like pre pandemic, I'm assuming it's similar to uh, Olympics where you guys all kind of get to hang out as team Canada and get to know other sports, but do correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're, you're right for sure. I think in both like, Sochi and Pyeongchang, yeah, like the camaraderies there. Um, with the Alpine events, we end up getting put in a pretty separate village than like everyone else because we're always mm-hmm. up in the mountains somewhere. Um, yeah. In both in Sochi and Pyeongchang, at least we were with the snowboard boys, which was pretty great. Our boys and girls, sorry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we were, uh, yeah, we were always with the snowboard crew, so it was it was pretty cool just being able to it changes things up from being like a normal world cup that we have, you know, our normal competitors are always around, but uh, yeah, just having a little more camaraderie that way uh, is a lot of fun. And just, I love that with the national that comes with like CPC and kind of, I don't know, we were doing so much fun stuff after, after races and the days (laughs) off, like yeah, trying to play pool and, and just like have, have a time. Um, really get to know everybody. You don't really get that much time to actually hang out um, mm-hmm. on a regular World Cup circuit. So it's, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. 
Um, yeah, there's always like this um, for people that have never been to the Olympics um, inside our, the village. There's always this kind of like international game zone, but also Team Canada does such a great job of like keeping Team Canada athletes together kind of, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like the, we had the, you know, like the international game zone and then the, like the Canadian, the lounge at the Canada, I guess, our building in the in the athlete village is always, always tended to be really amazing. You know, you go in there. You I go, know. Video games and just like Jenga and a bunch of other stuff. You can just go hang out with everyone and um, even just get to know the the CPC staff and um, you know how they got to to help helping us out at the games and totally. making it making it all work and um, so much behind the scenes. Um, did so, you also get to like watch all the other sports with the other athletes? Not as much. Like with us, we're pretty pretty busy throughout the whole game so we have like three training run days a downhill day and then we have four more events after downhill so oh we have gosh. right it's it runs pretty much through the whole game so having five events where i only had one <laughs> that took like <laughs> one run is 30 seconds yours is very different than mine <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's almost like a double-edged sword you know you have to like think about things like managing energy throughout a you know mm -hmm. 10 12 days um stuff like that and then you also have another opportunity if things do go wrong. You have another yeah. another different race, but you have another chance to to try and uh, step on top of the box. So it's uh, kind of on to the next moving. Yeah, on. <laughs> exactly. Kind of like a wipe your hands clean that day, whether you won or you packed her into the fence and yeah. plan on the next day. Um, have you yeah, done that? Have you gone into the fence before? Oh, I've spent a lot of time in the V-net. Oh God! <laughs> I think uh, ever. Everyone that ski races has been out there a little bit. I'm pretty lucky. You know, I actually, I say a lot of time, but I really haven't spent a ton of time in the fence. I always try and yeah. make my way out of it um, yeah. before. But if uh, if you crash in the right spot, you only have about a half a second before you hit the fence. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, pretty. I mean, you're going so fast. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's quick, especially in Beijing. It was uh, it was a pretty burly track to, to step back into. I've been. Yeah, let's talk about that like downhill that had no one had been on that course before right yeah no one had seen the track um the able-bodied crew had like i guess the ski cross had a test event um but for the alpine alpine side we never had anything yeah so uh, just kind of everyone it was at least an even playing field everyone go in trying to take as much information as they can trying to learn learn how the snow feels it was pretty different um Oh man, it was all man-made snow, right? Yeah, it was all man-made, and like we're pretty used to, like for the most part, man-made snow. And um, yeah. it was just so slick; it was the most glazed surface I've ever raced on, just from top to bottom. Normally, you have a couple of like gates that are pretty polished, but it was like top to bottom. What do you mean slick and polished? What does that mean? Like I'm not used. I don't want to be on ice. Most <laughs> people don't want to be on ice. <laughs> I swear to God, it looked like the glass on your patio door. It's, no, uh, it was just that the whole track. Um, it was, oh. but a little bit rougher. <laughs> so you were, uh, it was, it was pretty loose. You know, you had to commit to the turn right from the top to the bottom. There was no feather in the top of the turn, and being a little apprehensive, you had to kind of fully commit the whole the whole track, which was. My jaw is dropped good. because the way you just described it sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it was loose. <laughs> like they they were hauling a lot of volunteers out of the fence. Um, you know, people people slip in the track. As soon as you end up on your back, you just slide until you hit something. 
Um, oh, but Jesus. So it was, uh, it was cool. <laughs> it was definitely for me, I hadn't raced downhill since, well, since, uh, Pyeongchang because I'd, uh, I'd yeah. sustained some pretty fun back injuries over the last four years. So I've herniated uh, mm. discs in my back that were just being pretty pesky. And then, uh, I had knee surgery in there at some point and just spent a lot of time, uh, spent a lot of time in physio and, and in the gym trying to get healthy. So I mean, I, uh, you're in the right place. Whistler is the best <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> to amazing. recover. It's so good. It's um, the best. The oh I my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to ask you that. Like, you, yeah, injuries and you keep coming back. And, and, and when I had my injuries and my big crash, everyone's like, what are you doing? Like, why do you think you're going back? And I was like, I'm just, <laughs> like, I have to, it's what I love. It's what I do. And so, um, three, uh, Paralympics behind you, uh, another injury right now, you, how are you feeling? Do you still have that light and that fire? I do for sure. I, you know, I have like, I'll forever have the love for this sport. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty, a pretty unique and incredible environment to be in. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm at the point now where, you know, I'm, I'm starting to step back a little bit and kind of see what's going on kind of outside of ski racing. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely still racing at least for the next, next couple of years, or I guess I'll be, I'll be off snow next season for the most part. Um, by the time I'm back on snow, it'll be mid January. And uh hopefully uh hopefully be able to spend a bunch of time in the backcountry and just kind of reset in the mind and um so see good how for the soul go. yeah exactly and you know um like i said hopefully have a couple uh film projects coming up throughout the winter both between like skiing and snowmobiling so um kind of just focus on that stuff stuff that we had to put off for a couple of years while we're uh while we're training and rehabbing and stuff like that so totally. it'll be uh it'll be cool to kind of refocus the energy in that direction and then kind of come back, um, reevaluate, um, I guess, which, which road we're taking from, from here on out. But I think, I uh, think you can do both. I'm just throwing that one out there. Yeah. That's the I thing. Think if anyone can do it, you can. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. We'll try and find a good way to balance it and, uh, and see if it, see if it sticks. But uh, one day, do you take it one day at a time after 2010, my second games, I was like, do I still love this? I'll take it one contest at a time and see if I still love it. And then I ended up going to two more. So you <laughs> never, you never know what's going to happen. Honestly, just take it one day at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're winning it. Um, it'll be, uh, yeah, I guess one day, one day I'm going to know whether it's, uh, whether it's still something I want to do or not. And I haven't had the day that I'm fully, fully you know cleaning my hands of it so we're uh yeah, yeah we're still here we're doing it gotta get That's back awesome. healthy and and uh and then throw on some long skis and try and have some fun i guess <laughs> i can't wait i want to be around for that like i want to be there when you're filming it i want to see this happen um <laughs> blind faith is a documentary that i highly recommend mac where can people find you online if they want to see what you're up to next um, yeah, your best spot's probably my Instagram is just Mac Marku with, uh, with no spaces. Um, other than that, I'm not really good at the, the marketing stuff. So I, uh, I gotta step my game up a little bit. Instagram's kind of my only outlet right now, but, uh, you'll just have documentaries coming out left, right and center. So don't worry about it. That's the plan. <laughs> Hopefully we can, uh, yeah, make a splash and jump awesome. off some stuff and, and show people what we're doing in the backcountry. So much respect, my friend. Um, thank you so much for dropping in today. Hey, no, thanks for having me. It's uh, It's been good talking to you. Okay, see you soon.
Thanks so much for dropping in today. You can find everything you want to know about dropping in with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks DJ Kenosis for the music and my mom for the intro voice. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.